0: Welcome to the Real Estate Addicts Podcast. This is episode 33 with your hosts, Mark Savatsky from Choose Boston,
1: Dan Rubin, HRV Homes, and Ray Herto,
2: HRV Homes.
0: And we're joined today by our guest,
2: Mike Costello, American Tower Corporation. I'm the director of talent acquisition.
0: This is a little different of an episode, very different before we go too much into it. Should our readers
3: or listeners turn this
0: off then? No, I think this is still going to be very relevant (laughs) and um, it may not be as technical, but I think some of the soft skills.
2: I think it's very important. For sure.
0: Very relatable. So Mike, you want to give us a quick rundown or synopsis of a little of your career and what you've been up to?
2: Sure. Yeah. So work for American Tower Corporation. For those who haven't heard of us, we're a, a wireless infrastructure company. So we play in the real estate wireless telecommunications space, also a real estate investment trust for those real estate listeners on here. Hopefully there's a lot of them. And I've been with American Tower for six years and responsible for hiring within our U.S. operational business. We hire about between three or 400 external hires a year into our organization. And for the time I've been there, the last six years, we're probably around 1,500 hires of people that we've brought into the organization. And Prior to that, I ran recruitment at Suffolk Construction in Boston for about six years as well. And where so I had the pleasure of working with Mark and meeting Mark and uh, excited to be here today.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: 1,500 over six years. Yes. That's a lot of people. Give or take. Yeah.
0: In our world, we're always hiring people, be it a plumber, an electrician, an architect, a zoning attorney. And so we're constantly faced with those kinds of similar hiring decisions. And um, that's why I'm looking forward to this one. and. Getting into the details, trying to understand how we can see through the lies. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the flip side, I think a lot of our listeners maybe, maybe aspire to be entrepreneurs one day, or maybe they just want to work for a large development company or get hired for a better position and keep improving their their career. And so I think we can talk a little bit about tri- not tricks but skills that employees can um, utilize.
1: Yeah, during to, the interview process to get hired yeah. and,
0: and, to, and to find great jobs. Mm-hmm. So with that... Should we kick it off? Yeah. All right. Let's start with the the notion of being an employer, trying to hire someone. So I don't care whether it's a project manager or an electrician. Mike, tell us some of the basic questions you should be asking when you're interviewing a candidate.
2: Complex, right? With how to do that. But when you're interviewing a candidate, you really should be looking for thinking what success in the role looks like. And then how do you set up the right questions to ask a candidate to be able to evaluate if you think they can be successful in the role, right? So if you need, for example, a project manager, what are the things for you, right? Project manager is different at every company and every organization, whether it's construction or IT, or what are the things you need them to do? And how do you align some questions that ask and get at the behaviors that that candidate might have that would show you that they'd be successful in that position?
0: So to me, it's identify issues ahead of time and then track and kill them. It's not enough just to say I left a voicemail or, oh, that's ball in court, other person. Like, no, it's always your responsibility until it's executed. And that type of mindset is what I'm always looking for.
2: What do you mean by that?
0: So like just someone who runs through walls and gets things done. There are so many issues that are out in the, in the sphere and you're sort of uh, the center hub on a wheel with architects and you know, tradesmen and owners and buyers and brokers. So you have to be able to keep a very complicated list of different issues that are out there. And you might not always be the one to solve it, but you need to be able to manage that process.
2: Yes. So you, if you were looking for somebody like that, right, for yeah. example, you would want to line up some specific questions they get at that they've done that before, right? Past Behavior is the predictor of future success, right? So if you can evaluate those behaviors and say, all right, I need someone who can push back on architects, right? Because they're not getting you what you need. So you'd ask a candidate, you'd say, Ray, give me an example of a time you've worked with an architect and you weren't getting what you, what you needed from them. How did you handle that? And then you look for Ray to answer that question in what's called the, the star method. So situation or task, action and result and most candidates don't know that they're being asked that, so you can coach them through it as the interviewer, right, to see if he, if they have that because sometimes your best candidate might not actually be the best interviewer, so it's your your responsibility if you're looking for good talent to be able to push and ask those questions and get those examples and get specifics from them, and it's your job to do that.
3: And how do you see through the candidates that seemingly know you're going to ask this question and they just come in,
2: with the perfect answer? That's a great question. So if you ask follow-up questions, it's tough to, it's really hard to fake it, right? If your candidates could come in and have cookie cutter answers to that, and in general, you get generic answers. And sometimes they sound really good because someone comes in and polished and they win that first impression. But if you dig deeper and say, you know, Mark, specifically, what did you do in that circumstance? What was your role in it? Mm -hmm. I know you said the project was successful and everybody, and, and you got what you needed from that architect, but what did you specifically do? Did you complete those tasks? Did you coach somebody to complete those tasks? Did you direct, it's like, what did you, and and take, give me the more specific, so you can drill down and dig deeper. And that tends to be a good way to get at the person that gives that generically great answer to get, get more specific.
1: I guess there's obviously going to be very different types of questions. You're going to ask based on the candidate and for like a project management type role, it's, that type of candidate is going to be much different than than that of like an electrician or a plumber. So the way, you know, you're typically meeting a plumber or an electrician on site, you're walking them through the job, you're showing them the plans, you know, with a project manager, you might have, you know, multiple rounds, you might talk to them on the phone, and then you might meet them somewhere to, to talk to them in person and then you might even have a third round whatever whatever but you know typically when you're interviewing someone from the trades it's 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 usually one time they're on site they're usually much more involved in the day-to-day trenches than than someone at a much higher level type role so how do you shift those types of questions into talking to someone like a plumber or an electrician on site at a at a job but site if you're going to hire
2: them to work on one of your projects Correct.
1: Because there are a lot of these guys are acting as subcontractors, so they're not really an employee. They're working, you know, for you as a sub.
2: Sure. So what I would do in that is a little different than than hiring, but I think if I were in, in your guy's seat, how I would take, you know, what we do in the in the hiring world and leverage that for those situations is call on your previous experience with people working in those similar roles and look for the behaviors that that you want, right? Because you might be comfortable that everyone can do the work based on, you know, they have valid licenses, they have good references, things like that. But the real question is, do you want to work with them? And so how do you ask a couple of questions there of, you know, what do you do with, you know, how do you handle, you know, owners that aren't giving you what you need? Like, Will you pause the project, like, and get past examples of how they would do that, so you're comfortable with how they're going to partner with you, and have some of those questions to get at those behaviors for like
1: throw some challenges at them yeah. that they've kind of dealt with throughout previous projects.
2: Yeah, right. Because you know you're going to base it off. Do I want to work with these folks, and now we're going to sign a contract to do this? So a little bit different than than hiring, but I think you could leverage some of the skills that people use in hiring to you know help you select vendors that you really want to work with.
0: Mike, any tips on making reference calls? It's something that I try to do. And every time I get on the phone with someone's reference, it seems to be this, like, I'm just trying to reassure myself. Very quick conversation. I'm almost apologizing for bothering that person.
1: I always also feel like it's a generic response. Like, yeah. even when I'm calling references for tenants. Yeah. The person's like, oh, they were great.
0: Yeah. And I, and I go, then okay, I, thank you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm
1: like, I, I try to, like, think of a follow-up question and I can't. And it's like, they're just like one word answers. And I was like... Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Thanks. You, you know, know what I'm I think? Glad it is? I did
3: this. I think it's kind of a check the box thing because Th- if somebody puts is. you as a reference and then you don't have something nice to say about them,
2: <laughs> run away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most people references are are just that. Like most people give you references that are going to say positive things about them. So I think.
1: references are overrated.
2: <laughs> yeah. <Ooh>. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would so. Jumping ahead there. Yeah, I would definitely <laughs> but, say so. Really, in the hundreds or thousands of reference calls I've made, it's I've very rarely gotten a bad. Bad one. Maybe one I can remember from when I worked at Suffolk for someone that was a, a red flag. Mark. Really? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Could have been Mark. Could but. have been.
0: <laughs> I, you know, as far as being a landlord, I like to ask for the tenant's previous landlord. Because oh, I was, on, you know, obviously if they're having trouble with their current landlord and he's trying to get rid of them and I call, you know, he might say whatever it takes to get that kid out of the house. So.
3: And that's tough when somebody that you're bringing into your building that's the first place that they lived and they unfortunately messed up and then there's no other references. Yeah. I have a question in terms of, it's an interesting economy here if we're going to talk about like the trade side of things other versus, you know, tenancy. How do you balance, Mike, hiring good or strong candidates when the potential pool of applicants is either very competitive or does not non-existent because
2: it's such a strong labor market? Yeah, I mean, we're at an interesting point in the last 20 years where, you know, unemployment's much lower than the demand for companies have for talent. So that's a that's a fantastic question. I think how we approach it is we look to do this better than others. Most companies don't really do it that well because of the resume. I think the competitive advantage that we have on our team and the way we look at things at American Tower is to appropriately try to evaluate as many people as possible and not throw people out based on the resume. So you guys, everyone. when it comes to resumes, everyone has a different opinion. If you ask 10 different people how you should structure and make up your resume, you probably get 10 different answers. So that really is, I think, an opportunity for employers in the market to not make decisions based on the resume, but only look at it as one data point and say, do I want more information? Right? Because that's what you're looking at a resume for, not say, oh, I don't want to hire Dan or Ray because they went to Northeastern, right? <laughs> people do that. People look at resumes. Oh, they, sure. go, they have biases. They have unconscious biases. That, they creep in. And the best way to do it is to say, do I want more information on this person or not? Not throw it out based on just looking at the resume. And I think that's really what companies have to do in this labor market is try to meet with more people, try to find and evaluate people that other people aren't going to look at their resumes and they're going to make those decisions and see that as the opportunity because there are people out there. You can lure talent to your organizations and it is a big opportunity for employers. So for instance, if you're hiring for a position
1: and you get 10 resumes in from a, from for this position from 10 different people, how do you take that first pass? Do you, you know, based on what you were saying, do you look to see if they have the necessary skills on their resume to do the job that you're seeking to fill and then kind of whittle down from there or is there any other types of strategies that you use to kind of take that 10 and then bring it down to 5 or 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 do you even do you even try to bring it down to a specific number or is it just kind of a, a pro, what kind of process do you just
2: take every job has a list of minimum requirements, right? And I think we base it off that and making sure someone has the minimum requirements. And then we want to talk to them because you can ask behavioral for behavioral examples that, to find out more about them. And every resume, every person, there's a different story behind the resume. And, you know, if people meet the minimum requirements, then I think you should see that as an opportunity to find talent and even find talent that other people won't look at because they are looking at 10 different things or looking at a lot more things and just basing things off the resume.
1: How many rounds of interviews
2: do you typically have? Or is it position dependent? It's definitely position dependent. Some more higher volume roles. You might have less rounds and feel more comfortable having multiple interviews in that first round and making a decision. Higher level positions. Sometimes they meet with, you need to meet with different groups in different parts of your organization. So that might take a little bit longer and you might have you know, one, two or three rounds and maybe a final round. So it really varies depending on the, the position.
0: I think people are often overconfident in their ability to judge character. And sometimes we would do better by interviewing a candidate behind a curtain. What are your thoughts on that?
2: I would agree with it to a certain extent, right? It seems like it's not possible to do, but I think based on people's preparation to interview candidates, it can lead them down the wrong path, right? If you're not prepared and you meet a candidate and they pass the first impression test and you haven't prepared the questions you're going to ask in in advance to get at the person's competence for this job, then it could lead you down a path of making a decision based on the candidate based on things that really don't matter and aren't necessarily important to that job. So preparing for that interview with the right questions to understand what success looks like in the role so you can get at the right competency-based behaviors from that candidate will allow you to get past those first impressions and really see the value that that candidate's going to bring to that position
0: Can you break that down a little further you've said it sort of twice so what competencies will be important in the job and ask questions which seek to establish that they've have that that experience
2: yes so in your world right you guys deal with problems all the time right on your yeah. projects oh, and, yeah. and the things that you work and so problem solving is going to be a key competency to anybody that you hire. To come work on your team.
0: So what kind of questions would you ask?
2: Yeah. So give me an example of a time where you've worked on a project and there's been multiple projects, multiple problems at one time. How have you handled that? And right from the candidate, you'd expect them.
0: Make Dan answer (laughs) it. Scramble.
2: (laughs) Or say, yeah. I'll give you kind of how the candidate should answer. It's called the star method, right? So you ask a behavioral based question. Right. and you'd expect them to answer it in the star method now candidates don't know this so it's your job as the interviewer to help them through it but that's what's the situation or task what action did you take and what's the result right so you'd say you'd give ask that question and then you'd say mark or Dan you know give, give me share with me a time when that's that's happened and how you've handled that right and you guys have dozens of examples mm-hmm. and you'd be able to give me give me specifics on that
0: we should do a should we do a live role play <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about questions like the Google ones? Like, Mark, how many ping pong balls could fit in a 747 jet?
1: Or like, how many windows are there in New York City or yep. something like that? Or how do you move a mountain?
0: How many pairs of shoes have you bought in your life?
2: Well, let me put this back to you guys. What do? You, how do you guys feel about those questions? And do you think that if you were to ask those questions to someone you wanted to hire to be on your team, how do you evaluate those answers and what the right answer is?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I would say...
3: Like you said, there's two different kinds of folks that we hire. There's those that are more in the, the trades, and then there's the professionals like the architects and the attorneys, and then there's the guys that are swinging hammers and, and laying down, you know, the wire. So if we ask those questions to any of the tradesmen, I they'll mean they'll probably I, punch uh, you in the face. <laughs> they, they'll, either, they'll either just not take the call or hang up on you. Well, you're not going to be on the phone with them. Well,
0: no, I mean, let's talk about, you know, more of a formal interview setting. I like it personally because so often we have to make gross assumptions as developers. You know, how many truckloads of export will I need to come off this site? And it's like, well, I guess a truck's about this many cubic yards. You know, it'll probably take three weeks, two trucks a day. And if someone can sort of lay out their math in front of me and just use numbers that end in zero... I'd be generally impressed. Yeah, and that's telling. I would say it's more like outside
1: of the box thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, on you know because we're doing that a lot as well. You know, like if there's a unique problem that you need to solve and you need to come up with a solution that you know every site is different. You know, I I'd be curious to see how they came up with the answer, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the right answer, but you know, understanding their thought process behind it and seeing that they can think outside the box is, I think, is a plus.
3: Here's a good example. So say you do a geotechnical report on a site and it says your soil is of X classification and your geotechnical person will have potentially one or two recommendations. You can then go to your site person and say, my geotech report said this, what do you recommend? And kind of see what they're thinking. And so from a developer standpoint, that's one way to sort of see if that person also has the experience in the solutions. So, So I would say that's definitely one way to do it. And then a lot of it is from experience. So a lot of the guys and gals that we will hire, it's based on all of our cumulative experiences, which is why it's important to have a good network because not only will we ask other contractors, but we'll ask other folks in our networks, hey guys, you know, I've got this problem. What have you guys done? I don't want to just go in there, especially if it's my first time dealing with it, just swinging for the fences and not knowing where it's going to land. So it's tough because some folks won't entertain it and other folks, you know, they they might make it seem more complicated than it actually is and tell you, it, oh, this is really hard. It's going to, going to cost a lot to fix it. And in reality, it may not be that. Or in some cases, they may not know the right answer and they might just make something up. Uh, Another example, uh, like we had to hire a bookkeeper uh, for the first time a couple of years ago, hired somebody, had no idea what we were doing because it was our first time hiring, didn't do what I just recommended. And then things got a little squirrely for that tax year. (laughs) So then we decided, well, we need to do things a little differently. So we started interviewing about a dozen different bookkeepers and the ones that recommended doing what we had just done and failed
2: miserably at, they immediately, they were gone. So, yep. So
1: what are your thoughts on those? Types
0: of questions?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you touched on a, a bunch of different things. So the, you know, typical Google questions and, and other questions, Google has actually gotten away from this in 2014, Laszlo Bach, who was their, you know, global head of HR, did studies and testing on this and tried to get away from a lot of these questions and move towards competency-based behavioral questions. Hmm. And so because the data has led them to believe that that's the only way to predict future success. So the reason I don't like them is it's tough to measure people effectively based on those, those questions. And it's tough to understand what a good answer looks like, right? Where the situational question you just laid out, and situational questions are good and appropriate to ask in addition to behavioral questions sometimes, because that can get at some different things of what you need them to do. And if they've dealt with that before and it can call on some experience they've had and they can give good examples there. So I like those questions as well as the behavioral-based questions. Some of the, the other brain-teasing type questions, I think are funny and interesting, mm-hmm. but I don't know if they get at, if I asked all three of you are really you know, really good at what you do, right? Because you have good experience. I might get three different answers and how does that help me? hire one of you to run a development project for me, if that's what I'm looking for, right? Yeah, It makes it really, because I don't, they could all be great different answers that are outside the box, but I would say, take, if you're looking for outside the box thinking, let's come up with a behavioral-based question that gets at that.
0: Dan, if you were a piece of construction equipment, <laughs> what would you be and why?
1: <laughs> uh, I would be an
0: I-beam. That's not a that's 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 a material.
1: Oh damn! I already equipment. I already got I already got flattered. You're,
0: you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> so so we've talked a little about hiring candidates. Tell us um, if you're in a interviewee position and the interview is not going well. What are some steps that you can take as a candidate to try to help this back on track?
2: Yes, and believe it or not, a lot of companies are still asking a lot of these questions and mm-hmm. don't necessarily interview well. If you go on Glassdoor and search different companies and interview questions that they're asking, you can see that they're still asking some of these questions out there, which.
0: What kind of questions? Like the one you just asked if you, if you, you were going
2: to be a, an animal, what type of animal, animal would you be? And, <laughs> and things, it allows you to get to know people and, and things like that, but it doesn't show you, you know, what, how do you evaluate what a bad answer is that? And you might kick out a, some, a good candidate because they don't answer that question. An in a way the You would, you would like answer. that. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> I'd
0: never be hired for you. <laughs> no, you're fired.
2: <laughs> but going back to your question, if you're a candidate and you're not, people aren't trained to interview, you're not interviewing you well, I think the questions that you ask become critical. So you can ask questions that get at what you think the role is going to be and how you could be successful in that role. So an example of how you would do that is when you know most people give you a chance to ask questions on the position and you ask them, you know, what does success look like in this role? And when they start to play that back, well, we need someone that can think outside the box and problem solve, then it's your opportunity to move some of your examples into that response.
3: Yeah, I almost feel like that's a way to filter some people out.
2: If they're not even asking questions, are they really even interested? Like, why are they there? In preparing for interviews, candidates should always prepare questions in advance. That's critical. And always ask as many questions as they can to the interviewers and not be afraid to ask different interviewers the same question. If you're interviewing with multiple people for one company, you want to ask them the same questions to really evaluate that company and see, like, are these people aligned? Do you, does this organization, you know, their cultures and values align? And am I interested in that because you're as much interviewing the company as they're interviewing you as well? Yeah, I was just
1: going to say, you know, you want to decide if you want to work for them or not. So, Especially in
0: this economy.
3: How important are the questions about the company history? You know, oh, I noticed that It was founded in 1952 and out of a garage, and now
2: it's this. Does that impress anybody interviewing these days? I think, you know, people look for people to do a baseline of research on an organization so that it shows that they're interested. I think you have really two different types of candidates, passive and active, right? Candidates that are out there looking for a new opportunity, they're unhappy where they are, maybe candidates that have been pulled into an opportunity might not be actively looking. And so they might not prepare as much. And I think it's on that organization to evaluate the candidate appropriately, regardless of that, you know? And so I think to come across better as a candidate, everyone's saying, I went to your website. So do more than that. Like, it's your opportunity to do more than that. Well, I went to your website. I went to your competitor's website. I went to... I talked to two or three people I found in that organization because I leveraged my network and I found out more information about your company and have some questions based on that. I think that's your opportunity when you get in the fo- your foot in the door. If you really want to go work for that organization or to seriously explore it, you should pull every lever you can to show that you're interested because, quite frankly, companies like people that are interested in them as well. And it's a two-way street. The company Mm -hmm. should also show that they're excited about a candidate and appreciative that they're taking time to come in and find out about their their company as well.
1: You talked about a number of different, you know, you talked about behavioral versus, I guess, technical type questions. And during an interview, do you, is it usually split 50-50 or do you sway one way or another? How do you typically base the type of questions? Obviously, it's position dependent, but, you know, the, the style of question, how do you typically divide split that, split up. that up.
2: So kind of using a, about a twenty seventy ten 10 model. So 20% in the beginning, really getting that candidate comfortable. Sometimes people are not pros at interviewing and they're uncomfortable and it's an uncomfortable situation. So really asking them some questions about their background. And, you know, I call that the informational piece where you just find out, you know, why'd you choose to go to Northeastern? Why'd you choose to go to Purdue? Why'd you choose to leave and start your own business? L- things like that. So, that informational piece and then move into, you know, the core success and the role, like what are the behaviors and what are the questions we have that can evaluate that. And the last 10% is really for that candidate to ask questions and your opportunity to sell the company and, and give that candidate a chance to ask questions and learn more about the role, the position, and the, the organization.
0: I like that format for our podcast. <laughs> yeah.
3: Could I go into, uh, that's funny, Mark. <laughs> Could I go into that first 20% that you were talking about, it's funny that you mentioned that. So you were saying some of the candidates and, and and let's face it, you know, some guys and gals that are interviewing, it might be the first time they've interviewed in five years because they've had a job already for so long. Or it might be their first one and they've never done an interview. So yeah, you want to make them comfortable. In a more experienced position though, um, are you ever asking questions to either make them uncomfortable or kind of draw a reaction to as a behavioral side of things to see how they would handle like a real life scenario,
1: or is that a little too like, psychological? Ray is such a creep. I'm never going to work that company based on that question.
0: No, I've heard I've heard of crazy ones like, "Hey Mark, will you go open a window? I'm really hot in here, and none of the windows open in that room." And then they want to see like how you respond.
2: <laughs> no, we don't do any of that. No. that. Again, it's situational. Like in certain roles, it really depends on the the level and the, and the position. So you could present different situations. At that point, but it it really it's probably role specific uh, with how, how you would approach that.
0: How about uh, salary? So, any tips for our listeners on negotiating salary?
2: I don't know, Mark. You tell me. We negotiated salary way back when you worked. <laughs> Did in Mark self- do a good question. job? Yeah, yeah, he's good. He's good. <laughs> Wise beyond his years in that.
0: Had a good coach. I don't know. I feel as though like when you're negotiating salary with a new opportunity. One approach you could take is just to say, I'll make this very basic. Like, this is exactly where I'm currently at. I'm looking to make a move so it's a step forward and not a lateral step, and then put the ball in their court. Thoughts?
2: There's a lot of different approaches when it comes to uh, salary. Right now in Massachusetts, recruiters are not allowed to ask candidates what they make anymore. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that legislation. It passed, I think, in July of 17 or July of 18. So no longer allowed to ask candidates, so all recruiters are allowed to ask for is their expectations. And so that changes the the conversation and the dynamic. So candidates have a lot more leeway than they did in the past when recruiters were allowed to ask those questions. So, you know, how then when you get to that point where you're receiving an offer, I think there's a, a lot of different ways to go about it.
0: Well, I like the idea of breaking compensation into buckets. So there's your bonus, there's your salary, which is paid weekly or biweekly, and other benefits. And looking at it holistically, and trying to weight it. In my opinion, like away from bonuses and more towards the. Am I correct in that? Because yep. uh, you know,
2: there's it, every organization pays differently. Some's just based salary. Some's based bonus and some sort of other stock component or um, profit sharing or. Your various things, and then there's the other pieces of it. If you have 401k and match and other, you know, health benefits, and so I think really understanding if you're an offer, getting an offer for a new organization, that total compensation package is is key because your salary might be a little less, but the total comp might be more because of everything else included compared to what you have now. Versus if you were to, you know, have a different up. Op- so really, it's it's hard to give advice on that. Mm-hmm. Other than I always like the premise of being open and honest and saying what's going to make you happy.
1: Are there any kind of go-to websites or anywhere from the flip side, if I'm looking to hire someone, understanding, okay, how much is a project manager? What's the average project manager salary in Massachusetts right now? Or, you know, any type of role that I'm looking to hire, where can I go to figure out how much people are making or how much... What, I'm, what I should be looking to you pay
2: somebody. Yeah. yeah. So some of the websites, I think, might lead you down the wrong direction. The GlassDoors, the salary.com, you can get decent information from, from that, but it doesn't give you the whole picture. Sometimes you just see a number and it doesn't say that you know, How someone also got down. a bonus or, or, or other things. It is a data point. So there's services that you can pay for. They cost a, quite a bit of money. You know, FMI is one that focuses specifically on the construction industry where you can get resources from them, but you'd have to pay for those services. But there, there are services out there that would give you good compensation information.
0: I like what you said about what's going to make you happy. I always like to think, you know, what, what do you want? And sometimes people have such a difficult time actually knowing the answer to that. You know, I deal with it a lot, even in community meetings where someone's opposed to something and you'll say, what will make you happy? And, and you know... Nothing. uh, Yeah,
2: (laughs) it's a pretty simple way to look at it, and then look at what's you know what's what's fair. Yeah, right.
0: Slight digression there, but tell us if you have been in an entrepreneurial path and you're now sitting down for an interview with a corporation in a more more formal setting. How do you overcome that stigma?
2: You're going to have to tackle it head on, right? Because if you put yourself in the at the other side of the table and say, "All right, there's somebody that's been in a corporate role for a long time that hasn't done something entrepreneurial." Their biggest concern is going to be why does this person want to move from an entrepreneurial role to a um, a more corporate role and are they going to stay? So I think as a candidate, you'd want to take the approach of finding ways to address that head on and not actually wait for the question. Or, you know, when you have the opportunity to ask questions at the end of the interview, do you, you know, do you have any concerns? One concern, if I were you, for someone like me, might be I've come from an entrepreneurial background and um, you know, why do you want to work for in a corporate role and have a good story to tell there and be sincere in that story because, you know, the company will, the people interviewing you will think, you know, why does this person want to do that? So if you want to make sure you have the opportunity to get that across and, and tell your story of why and be prepared for that.
1: So I think we have maybe time for one or two more questions you know, on my end, you know, it's right now our, it's just Ray and I in our business. So, you know, if we're, we've been exploring potentially hiring someone, but if we wanted to hire someone, how do we, first, we can't afford to pay someone, you know, uh, for, you know, healthcare, 401k, all these other benef- benefits that a large corporation might be able to pay for. So how do we as a small business differentiate ourselves and kind of You know, attract talent that we want to bring in, especially in this type of market.
2: One thing we, I guess, we haven't touched on that we that we should is referrals, right? For people uh, in your situation, referrals are going to be your best source. Referrals remain the number one source of hire across you know all organizations, all for a long time since we've been tracking these things. So, referrals are great for a company like like yours that's small and wants to grow. Word of mouth, talking to people, talking to people that you work with, and that's a great way to do it. I think being open about that, if you're going to do a posting or something like that of selling that side of you, you're entrepreneurial, you're small, you don't have these things. If you want those things, we're we're not the right fit for you. We'll kind of keep people away from maybe applying that um, you'd waste your time once you got to that negotiation point of, whoa, you don't have this stuff. I have a 401k match of this now, and we're not going to have that. So that that will keep that away. So I think the combination of like looking for referrals as well as just marketing yourself as what you are and being open and honest about that because those are key. And then when you know most I don't know if it was last year's LinkedIn study that came out on why people leave roles that they're in. One and two are always compensation and career development. Career development is, I think, always number one. So what opportunities can you sell to that candidate in terms of their career development and what's in it for them? And entrepreneurial organizations have a lot to offer because you get to wear many hats and do many different things. So I would really lead with, you want you learn everything. great healthcare benefits? Don't come to our company, right? Like, And someone might have um, a reason to do that because they you know have a spouse that they get benefits through or, or some other reason that they don't aren't focused on those things and you know you're going to get to wear many hats in this organization and there's a lot of career growth and career development for the right person so i would lead with that strategy when it comes to to looking for talent for you guys and awesome. just as a follow up to that would that sort of lend itself to
3: maybe an intern or a part-time hire is a better suit for a company of the smaller size like this or
2: yeah, I think that's a good good strategy, right? For you to get maybe a couple interns or an intern where you know they can use this to grow and develop their their resume yeah. uh, and the experience they have, and there's there's a lot in it for them. Um, so definitely a great great strategy. Nice. I wonder if we could offer like college credits or something. You know, work with <laughs> us and
1: co-op. <laughs> there you
3: go, Northeastern co-op. Right. Yeah. There yeah. you go. We did come from Northeastern. Could do the co-ops. One question I had was: say you have a position. And you have two candidates. One is an experienced candidate, uh, obviously he's going to be probably asking for more. And then you have a candidate who has the base skills, but is very ambitious and eager to learn. Uh, is there a better hire or does it depend?
2: That probably depends on you as the, the person that's going to hire them. You're going to have to invest in developing one of them more than the other. And so what do you need? So if you need someone that can come in and doesn't need help and support, Maybe going with the more experienced hire makes more sense. If you have time to develop and want to work with that person, you know, going with somebody that's um, doesn't have quite that experience, but uh, maybe you see some potential there might be worth the investment. So I think it really depends on the, on the situation and, you know, thinking long-term about it.
0: Ready for a quick game of overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated?
2: Yes, absolutely. Fired up All for right, this. Yeah, first
0: one, unpaid, unpaid interns. Overrated. Unethical?
2: I think so. I think you should, I mean, it depends.
0: I think there's some it is unethical.
2: Yeah, I think if you want.
0: I, I mean, I think it, it allows for, um, I'm asking you the question and I'm answering it. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I think it allows for kids who are privileged enough to be able to take three months and not earn anything and just gain experience. And that's unfair to a large pool of um, applicants who, who, who don't have that uh, luxury.
2: I guess... Make it even simpler. I feel if you're getting value from them and they're doing work for you and your business, you should pay them. If it's experiential, then it's probably okay.
0: I took that from Ray, I feel.
2: I think we were talking about on one of the, I think it
3: might've been the first podcast episode where isn't there a law that says you have to kind of put in more than what they get out of it? Or sorry, you you help them more than they help you,
2: that sort of thing? It's definitely a a gray area. But I think just... Keeping it simple is like if you're getting if they're doing work for you, then that's adding value to to your business. You should you should pay them. And if it's different, if it's experiential or shadowing so things like that, then it's, it might be okay. But um, definitely not a big fan of it. I'd rather hire interns and pay them.
0: This is gonna bite me. I'm gonna hire an unpaid intern. <laughs> <one day. laughs>
2: Here's everybody's favorite multi-page resumes. I could go on for resumes for a, for a long time here. So. I think that everyone looks at resumes differently. I think I said this earlier already. And so some people are more detail-oriented and they want to put as many things as they can on their resume. Some people don't. They can keep it more high level. So I just don't think it's one data point when you're looking to hire somebody. And when you look at a resume, you shouldn't make those assumptions without saying, you know, keep it simple. What's the next step in the process? Do I want to meet with this person or not? Does
0: it have to be one page though? Your resume I was happened. always told it had to be one page. One page. That's why I asked Same it.
2: here. I mean that's because everyone we said that, college. and then it depends. I mean that's definitely evolved. Uh, you know, I've seen much longer resumes. I've seen seven or eight page resumes. I think not hiring them <laughs> depending depending on how much experience you have and what you what you put on there. I think you can be one, two, three pages.
1: For me, less is more in a resume. I just want to see the high level bullets and whether or not you can you you kind of meet the criteria of the the job itself. You know, sometimes in the past I've I've. Modified my resume based on the job I'm applying for. You know,
0: should I keep my GPA on my resume? <laughs> I'm 34.
2: <laughs> well, you had a 4.0 mark, so I guess you should.
1: <laughs> so I should take the like the computer club that I was joined that I joined on and off my resume. <laughs> How about hiring off of Indeed or Indeed in general?
2: Underrated. I think Indeed's a good source of hire. I think it's, you know, they have a they're a good provider in the marketplace. People are aware of them. They do a good job of advertising and marketing, so you'll see some good resumes come through through Indeed. It's it's been a good source for for our organization.
1: Are they an aggregator? Like do they go and scrub the internet kind of like you know, if you post on one website, does Indeed? I feel that a lot of times, if I, back in the day when I was looking at Indeed, I would click on a link and it would take me to somewhere else. So I don't know if they're like, do they go on and like, on a large corporation's website, like a Raytheon or something, and they have, you know, 300 app- job applications, do they like suck all that in or how does that work?
2: Unless companies won't let them. Okay. So they go and scrape from employer sites and career pages and maybe some other pages too, but they'll go and do that. And then their model is that they, you can then pay them to advertise to move up the page. Gotcha. Um, and they have other, other, obviously, vehicles for making revenue as well. But yeah, that's kind of how it works.
0: Skype interviewing or FaceTime interviews? Uh, I think they're great. And do you have to wear pants? <laughs>
2: <laughs> in the event you get asked know. to stand up and dance <laughs> around, <laughs> <laughs> if it's, and there's an value, uh, that's part sure of the inside, criteria. Weird? We're going to have to wrap this up soon. <laughs> <laughs> next one? Yes, and you next- should wear pants,
0: Mark, <laughs> please.
3: Job shadowing as part of the hiring process. Bring somebody in for couple hours or half a day or a day and have them follow
2: you around and see how they react to that. Yeah, I think that could that could add value, especially for um for your company. I think
0: you have to say overrated or
2: underrated. Oh sorry. Yeah. You have to. It's a rule.
0: It could be appropriately.
2: Appropriately rated. It's great for the the candidate, because they get to see what the job would be like. So from that standpoint, I I would really like like it. So I think think that, you know, because then the candidate has a more realistic job preview. How about headhunters? Headhunters. That's an old term. What's the appropriately term? rated? Is that
3: not PC? What's the current term?
2: Uh, search firms, recruitment firms, things like that. I think if you can find the right partners, people that understand your business and work within the way that you want to work with them, I think there's some great organizations out there that you can you can partner with that can help you find the talent that you need. But again, I'd say referrals typically are are the best source of hire and have the most success.
0: What's a typical um, compensation model for a recruiter if you were to
2: hire a recruiting firm? A recruiting firm?
0: He has a 40% salary after a number of months.
2: Like, it depends on the market. Mm-hmm. I think historically, it's been around 20% given certain...
0: 20% of the applicant's salary?
2: Yes. Or depending on the, the firm, it could be different. It could be total cash if there's a base and bonus it could be just based on base salary there's all sorts of different things i would say you know you have the opportunity to negotiate contracts and you guys are really good at things like that based on your business so you should always use that as an opportunity
1: do you feel like recruiters would push to for you to hire someone just so they can get paid
2: there's a lot of great companies in the industry in the <laughs> industry that do that and there's companies that that aren't as good so i think you know some might try to yeah to do that but um I also know some great organizations out there that I've partnered with over the years that are true partners. So,
1: so being good at interviewing the interviewer.
2: Yes. You own the process. You're hiring somebody. It's a big deal. It's important. Money invested in it, time, success of your project. So really owning that process and you guys would never get pushed around.
0: All right. Last one for me. Signing bonuses. Hmm.
2: Overrated. Interesting. Why? It just, it depends on what it's for. Right? Is it to cover something? Is it to entice someone to come? It, so maybe appropriately rate it. Because it could be a short-term need. Need to get somebody
3: also as well. I think it could Third create position. a
0: poor incentive whereby someone takes it just to get the cash and then may not be committed in the more long-term. Just making stuff
2: up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, people... I don't think would do that based on if it's a, it's a career move and they're leaving a good opportunity. It mm. depends what you're using that for. Is it to cover something that they're leaving behind to get them to entice them to come? Is it to cover that maybe their their base is going to be lower because of the structure that you have? So really, it, it it depends. So last one for me, hiring from temp agencies. Underrated. I think if you have a chance to bring on someone temporarily and see their work product and see if they're going to be successful in your organization, it's a great way to try out some talent and see. And it's great for them as well because they get to see, do I want to work with these, this, these guys, this organization, these people? And do I like this role? And if so, great. If not, then it's easy enough to you know, mutually decide to, to part ways or to yeah. um, make that decision to, to pull the ripcord.
0: Particularly in a time where labor laws are, are very strict on the employer. So once you hire, it's it's a, it's a difficult marriage to break, right?
2: Yeah, and if so temp, temp agencies, temp agencies, you agencies help manage that latitude. for you. Yep.
0: Last
1: one for me, LinkedIn.
2: Underrated. It's a it's a fantastic tool. It's you know I looked you guys up before I came today, found out you went to Northeastern, met each other, Fidelity. In, you in found the, me?
3: <laughs> yes. Really, Ray? Oh, I'm Ray, hitting Ray. H. I thought I was like Ray. Private. H, yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: I keep my I keep a low profile. I <laughs> Ray does not like LinkedIn. You certainly need to up your LinkedIn game, right? <laughs> he keeps everything private. So it, it's a great tool. And I think it helps candidates use every piece of information they have to help them in the hiring process. Find out who they know at that organization. Find out more about that organization. Call some people. Reach out to some people that work there. A lot better to come in through a relationship that you have than send your resume and apply online where you may never hear anything. It's, it's a great, great tool, especially for, uh, for candidates within the hiring process. What about paying for
1: additional link, those additional Premium. LinkedIn services? If you're trying to find a job, it's
0: probably good money. Or is that underrated
2: or overrated? Probably underrated. I think if, if you can leverage your networks, you can do that to a certain scale with, what, with the basic membership that everyone has for free. So I don't, I don't think I'd go and pay for that. So I think it's the, it's overrated, overrated. Overrated.
0: I accept every LinkedIn connection that comes to me. And people are always asking me, like, "Oh, can you make an introduction to? I don't know that that person. I'm just connected. Is Mark that just, a bad strategy?" Mark is the opposite of I think, me. I stay like, very close Ray, network. Mark just is happy Ray to goes through and scrubs
1: his fr- his list on LinkedIn like every three weeks, <laughs> and it's, it's like I haven't talked to you in a month. Denied. I,
0: I get one message a day from someone who wants me to sign up for a PMP project management professional course. At least. Well, that was
3: the reason why. It was just I got too much spam, too much noise. Yeah.
0: Do you guys have a PMP certification? No. I, shouldn't, no. I don't know. I,
1: I, I only accept people on LinkedIn that I've either met in person or that I know of through someone else. I don't accept just random people.
0: Mike, which one of us is employing the correct strategy? Dan.
1: Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs>
3: Damn it. <laughs> well, that was the reason why I made mine well, so private. Good
0: conclusion here. No. Yeah. that was a conclusion here. This so- has been a fun hour. <laughs> Thank you, Mike.
1: I've been fired. Mark. Mark's yeah. terrible at LinkedIn. This has been great.
0: The correct answer was uh, a crane, a, a tower crane, because the productivity and efficiency of the entire site relies upon your doing your job and executing.
1: If the job. Next needs, time you're if, asked. If the job needs a crane. Well,
0: it's, 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 the, it's the right answer. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, thank you again.
2: Thanks, Mike. Thank you, guys. Yeah, this was a really cool. How's, yeah, B, how's
0: BU going to do this year?
2: Basketball. I think they'll be okay. They're pretty young, but I think they'll, they'll have a good year.
0: That's kind of, uh, I don't know, average. Yeah. I don't or know too really much. Disconnected.
2: All right. <laughs> I need to get reconnected.
0: Right. Do, uh, people want to follow you? Fo- uh, look up American Tower.
2: Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Michael Costello is the director of town acquisition for American Tower. And uh, reach out. We're always looking for great people and to hire. So if you're interested, certainly hit me up. Love awesome.
0: it. Thanks, Mike.
2: Thank you so thank much. You guys. Hey,
0: everybody. Before we get going today, just wanted to say thank you for listening and for sharing the podcast. Really means the world to us that when you guys... Push the podcast out there and uh, help it grow.